Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 273 on Tuesday, the 3rd of September, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be talking about exactly when a speed record is a speed record. We'll also be asking if Lewandowski is the messiah or just a very naughty boy. And we learn which festivals it is best not to take nice cars to. But first, let us move on to... Anthony Lewandowski, it's been a while since we've talked about him, but if if you remember back in the mists of time... It's so long since we've talked about this that you've put it under news and not follow-up. That's how long it's been. Well, yes, because it's a slightly different take. Uh, he was at the centre of the Waymo and Uber court case that was going to rumble on for years and years and then quickly caught everybody by surprise because they reached an agreement. <laughs> And I think Uber just wanted to draw a line under it and say, oh, please stop, make it stop, make it stop. Uh, But it turns out that he, last Thursday, was indicted with 33 counts of theft of trade secrets. So it's back. (laughs) But it's not a civil case this time. In front front of a grand jury, and his lawyer has turned around and said, no, the the indictments um, have already been thrown out in a civil case. They've already been proved as rubbish. Not a problem. Everything's going to be fine. It's all fine. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm completely. I'm completely as um, chilled with it as 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 he seems to be. No, I don't think I would be either. Uh, I'd be. I'd be looking at my lawyer very carefully, going, "You better work very hard." <laughs> yeah, because no one's disagreeing that he one, took the files. It's whether he used them that's the yeah because that that he took them was agreed and understood in the civil case but the the key point will be whether he's he's used them so uh i'm not sure because i've not read through all the 33 specific indictments so i presume there's something about well you took these files and you shouldn't have um and or you should have destroyed them and given them back that sort of thing but yeah, we we will see because it looks like it's going to get all very courty quite soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's going to go and go for quite a quite a while. But then I said that the last time. Oh, it's, it's so so murky. Maybe we should start a court proceedings podcast. <laughs> We're almost there. If we'd known at the start of this uh, what we know now, we would maybe have have tried to get a lawyer involved in this in this podcast <laughs> at some point because. <laughs> Sure enough, we've learned an awful lot about the, the, the legal the way the legal wranglings and the way they happen all around the world. Yes. Anyway, so which festivals you don't take uh, nice cars to? Well, to be perfectly frank, the, the one that you don't take a nice car to is Creamfields. Yes. Um Dance Festival near Manchester a couple of weeks ago. Basically people just went and pillaged the car park. People were stripping the fronts off Land Rover defenders off off Range Rover Sports. Uh, they were taking wheels from Audis and Audis and Golfs. It was just... They also stripped the seats out of those as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just just, just crazy. And the, what amazes me about this is how, is how security, here are some inverted commas, uh, didn't notice or care to notice people walking past with Range Rover bonnets. You know, it's not... It's highly dodgy. Yeah, the thing because yeah, this, I mean, the, nobody's noticed that people are actually unscrewing it and and everything because that, that they mm-hmm. haven't ripped these things off. 
they've taken their time to remove them as cleanly as possible because they want to use them, sell them on whatever it is. But the thing that always gets me about car parks is you see that sign that says drivers park or owners park at their own risk. And you think, but you've provided the space. You must have some sort of responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And you think, well, I own risk, but, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of that, not that risk, has to be on the the opposite side of that is that is that you are taking the risk because they are providing or supposedly providing a a a safe and uh, a safe and legal place for you to leave your vehicle to the best of their abilities yeah yeah that's i think that that's what's got to be at the other end of that particular that particular statement and and if they're not then really their half of the implied contract is being ruined. And this is, once again, why Why did neither of us study law? <laughs> well, I know why I didn't. Because I didn't want to be like everybody else <laughs> in my school, that's why. Yeah. It's pretty awful, that's why. I can't imagine anything more dull. It's hard. Oh, I can, accountancy. Yeah, hard as well. All these exams and all sorts of horrible stuff I have to do. Um, but yeah, just, just cars... I don't know, thousands of pounds worth of stuff missing yeah. uh, from from many of them. But obviously, to an extent, stolen to order because you don't just happen across, you know, you don't just happen across a car and go, I know, let's take all of these bits. I mean, there's one here, uh, one of the pictures on this Motoring Research uh, article shows a Defender 110 crew cab pickup and the harp's still on the back. All the windows are still yeah, are still complete. I mean, not that it takes much to break into a Defender. Well, no, um, that's what I was thinking with that. I see there's a yeah. couple of couple of BMWs that still have all their wheels on. Yeah, it's it was very, it's it's been well planned. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think so. I think so. It's it's more than just coincidence. Put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Right, uh, moving on, and this is the news that there is a uh, widow who is. Claiming is suing Highways uh, Highways England and claiming that the smart motorway system is directly responsible for her husband's death. He was on, in inverted commas, the hard shoulder, which will be the inside lane mm-hmm. on the smart motorway because he and another vehicle had had a prang and they were swapping information and both the drivers were killed in an accident or collision uh, by a, a third vehicle because it is alleged i think that the the red cross was not put through uh, on that lane to say that this was a, a a lane that was not to be used it wasn't a live lane so it was a lorry that mm. uh, that that hit them now uh, this is this has been something that has well, it's one of one of three things that are said about smart motorways the first thing is smart motorways don't work that's the thing that gets shouted about on social media the second thing is oh they're just a money-making scheme Uh, and if you look at the stats like we reported on a while ago a lot of vehicles do get caught Mm -hmm. on the cameras on the variable speed lane at speed limits and also on the national speed limit when there is no variable limits in place simple one that keep your eyes open and stay under the limit (laughs) then it isn't making any money at all yeah. It, that, I, mm-hmm. there's no there's very little sympathy there unless the signs were not working 
So, but the the other thing that he said is there's no refugee points yeah. now uh, because the theory is that in the gantry signs there's a there's a huge red cross that says this is no longer a live lane, stay out that lane. That got flagged up a lot after the introduction of the first few areas of smart motorways. So then they have installed some refugee areas or laybys as they look uh, that were been put. I think what was it on the M. Four smart motorway. They first got this. They're ref, they're refuge refuge areas, yeah. mate. Refugee areas are actually down around Folkestone and <laughs> Folkestone and Dover. <laughs> yes, quite. If it all worked properly, then yes, I can see the idea that if we put a red cross here to say this is no longer a live lane, people will then avoid that lane and stay around. In theory. However, that is presuming that people drive on the motorways remotely well. And we all know we don't. Britain does not drive well on the Mm -hmm. motorways at all. If if people use the inside lane, it's almost a miracle, let alone not just sat in the outside lane. I've, I've, I've done a lot of smart motorway driving recently, which is a shock to the system. And the only thing that was smart on there were the new clean gantry signs because everybody else on there was not smart at all it was awful well you will travel you will travel around bank holiday weekend but, uh, but what i was going to say was that yes that is true but the the theory the the fact that it kept us all moving worked really really well we'll have to see how this one goes i, I absolutely agree with you on that by the way the, when it comes to actually keeping traffic moving smart motorways are really very good and they have been and they have been right from right from the start, right from when they were, the first variable speed limit section was introduced around past uh, past Heathrow and around in that sort of southwest corner of of the M25. They work really well. I don't agree with the removal of the hard shoulder though, because it's very hard to to break down to have an accident or any of these things opposite one of the refuge areas. And that's the issue that I personally have with, with, with smart motorways. And then to limp along is tricky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's just as dangerous as being as being still, really, isn't it? So from people saying smart motorways don't work, I think is completely wrong yeah. because they do really keep the traffic flowing. And uh, I, I say that as someone who's done, uh, I've done, what, uh, 200 miles of smart motorway driving in the last two days. Um, with another whole chunk to come tomorrow, so that bit, that bit, I, 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 I don't agree with. It'd be interesting to see how this case goes because if Highways England is found to be at fault, then that leaves them open to corporate manslaughter, which would then mean that the roads are not fit for purpose, which would mean they would have to do some remedial work, which would either be make the hard shoulder a hard shoulder again permanently mm-hmm. or stick another lane in that is now the hard shoulder but the gantries are so are in now so that would require lots of work no it's going to require loss of a lane if that's the case yeah i think so i think that, that's the easiest way to do it mm-hmm. yeah we'll, we'll have to keep our eye on this one a, a little bit of this by the way if you don't want to get caught out by these kind of things is remember what i was saying the other week about making sure that your car is in a fit state to make the journey yeah. Okay. You know, you're, it is actually an offence to go onto a, a motorway if your vehicle is not uh, is is not in the appropriate condition. If you don't have enough fuel, then you know, just 
do be aware of that as well, folks. I'm sure you're all smart people. You're not going to do that kind of silly thing, but it's worth repeating just in case. Yep. Yep. Okay, Alan, tell us about uh, Bugatti Chiron that's, well, is it a record? Is it not a record? What? Mm. Well, it's a tricky one, this, because uh, the the headline, of course, is Bugatti Chiron goes more than 300 miles an hour, sets new record, etc., etc., etc. And sure enough, a Bugatti Chiron has gone at 304 uh, miles an hour at uh, Volkswagen's Echerlesian test track in Germany. It's done 304.773 miles an hour, but it's not completely production spec. It is, in Volkswagen's words, near production spec. (laughs) And that means... And that means it has an additional safety cell or a roll cage, uh, some aerodynamic tweaks and a taller seventh gear, as well as uh, another 199 brake horsepower, uh, probably about 100 kilowatts if we, we work it out, to bring it to 1,578 brake horsepower. Th- that's all. Yeah, they're, they're talking that these may well be changed. According to Autocar, um, they believe that the mechanical changes will, will go into a celebratory limited edition uh, model. So it's probably not yet a production car record. No. It's still blooming impressive. Well, yeah, I mean, that that is what I was going to say, is that for me, okay, it's not really a, a, a... Yes, it is a record, but it's not an official record. But the engineering feat is brilliant. Yeah. And the thing is, it's, it's that. So, I mean, really, of course, uh, when it comes to crazy speeds then the tyres are really the great limitation here. So this one was running on specially constructed Michelin Pilot Cup 2s, and yeah, and they went through and they x-rayed all the tyres and everything. Uh, if they do a limited edition of these, I imagine one of the first things that people won't do is is put the pilot the special limited edition Pilot Cup 2 tyres on, because even the ones for the standard he says, not making air quotes, but you get the idea. Uh, Chiron are a ridiculous amount of money, um, I believe. They are thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds per tyre. And I don't imagine that once you've had to x-ray your tyres to make sure there are no defects, that that price is going to come down any. <laughs> no. It's quite something. Well, well done to Volkswagen. Well done to all the engineering team behind it. One thing that surprised me about this is what I didn't immediately see when this was announced, was loads of people going, oh, but that's not nearly as good as this uh, special tuner version of this normal car, uh, which has been able to do that for years and years, so it's not really anything special at all. <laughs> um, there seemed to be a distinct lack of that, which is good, because any time there's a speed limit, someone goes, oh, speed record, it's like, oh, no, but this tuner made it uh, in 1983 with this thing, and you can just imagine this vehicle just about shaking itself to bits in the most terrifying way imaginable. Uh, And I I believe that that wasn't the case with this, uh, although it was pretty nuts. There is a video out there uh, on that somewhere. I saw one of one link had it, had it in it. It's not in the autocar story, although there's lots of other information in there. I think it might be on topgear.com. Yes, Um, I think so. I think this is the actual video of, of, of the run and and supposedly up to about 275, the, the thing is just pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling uh, with, with barely any letdown. So uh, 
So yeah, well worth a watch a few minutes of your time uh, for that one, I think. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's a supercar story from us. Yes. Don't get that very often. No, not from us. <laughs> right, moving on. And there is an organization called Zenzik, which uh, brings together industry, government, and academia, apparently, to help direct the uh, the move towards connected and automated mobility in the UK. Now, they partner up with Warwick Uni is one of the, the, the teams involved. There's obviously JLR who are doing a lot of stuff with autonomous vehicle testing in this uh, country. It's those sort of it's those sort of organizations. They've got this one central place that's trying to pull everything in together to, so that they're all talking from cliche alerts, the same hint sheet and all that sort of stuff. There's lots of good engineering companies in there as well. But, well, engineering companies, uh, you can quote how good they are having dealt with some of them. Uh, like Ricardo, Atkins, uh, Thatcher, Thatcher Research, Millbrook, Waze is in there as well. Uh, the uh, FTA, so the Fleet Transport Association, loads of proper entities entities in there. It's not some it's not some bunch of people who who live in a live in a basement somewhere and just put out these statements. They are real organisations who do real stuff. Yeah, it's not like a, th- a think tank. Is they're actually doing stuff, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's lots of companies who do stuff. Today, they released a report called the UK Connected and Automated Mobility Roadmap to 2030, which is about how we're going to get to connected and automated mobility by 2030. <laughs> but it's actually uh, quite an interesting read because they, they have two versions. There's a PDF version, and then there's an interactive one where they've shown the timelines and they've they've shown all the the types of things they think that need to be thought about. And then if you click on some of them, there's further detail behind them saying, right, to make mm-hmm. that happen, then these things have to happen in this sort of order over this time scale. Uh, so it, it's quite an interesting one. I've only had a brief poke around at it, and you'll be shocked and stunned to hear that I've found a few few elements that maybe I would like to uh, investigate further or maybe ask them some questions about. But they're being transparent which hasn't really happened so much in the particularly in the autonomous vehicle side of things and they've they seem to have generally a good grasp on the challenges ahead and understand that speaking to the public and keeping the public aware is a major thing part of what all all those involved must must do and handle well but it's not that's because it's different from being a from being a pure startup business where they're them keeping all of this stuff to themselves uh, sort of protects their share price uh, and means that whenever they go public then they'll they'll go public with a big bang it's 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 a different type of setup it is more of that research collaboration yeah. type stuff yeah. so if you're interested in connected and autonomous vehicles then uh, click on the link in the show notes You've just got to f- fill out a couple of details and they'll give you access to it. Um, but it, like I say, it's, it's quite interesting. And I think, you know, generally, it's, it's a good uh, step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Lots of quite actually under their news bit, there's lots of interesting, interesting bits and pieces there uh, about stuff they're doing, even starting from aut- automated parking uh, and stuff they're doing at uh, Haribo Myra. Um, yeah, in in the Midlands there. So, so lots of bits and pieces uh, in there, and cybersecurity stuff too. So uh, that should keep Andrew nice and happy. 
for a given value of happy anyway. Yeah, to keep you happy then, ladies and gentlemen, charge your glasses <laughs> as Alan takes the next article. Yep. Uh, so Toyota and Suzuki are to confirm details of a new and autocar, uh, James Atwood autocars, put this in inverted commas, Alliance, because I'm sure it's not going to be like the Rebel Alliance. Uh, Toyota and Suzuki have announced plans to each acquire financial stakes in each other, spending Toyota's buy plans buy bought plan plans to buy uh, 4.94% of Suzuki uh, and Suzuki will invest roughly 372 million pounds in Toyota which doesn't say how much that is but I imagine it's much less of Toyota yeah uh, than 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 uh, than 4.98% of, of of Suzuki really uh, there's just uh, some competition authority stuff to go through but otherwise it's it's been struck uh, the idea is that, that they'll they'll work more closely together, obviously, on uh, cross branding of vehicles and 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 sharing of vehicle platforms, uh, as well as of course drivetrain tech, which uh, which each company has their own their own strengths in. Just there, I mean, they already have shared uh, some hybrid tech and that kind of stuff, uh, and of course in um, and of course in the US. There's, uh, in the US, nothing to do with the US. What am I talking about? Uh, in Japan, uh, when it comes to kai cars and stuff, you often find that the brands that we are used to kind of share the same share the same vehicle. So, for example, in the past, um, no, I was going to say something, and I've just realised it's complete rubbish because it was Daihatsu's that you got badged as Toyotas and Toyotas as Daihatsu's. Because uh, Daihatsu are already owned by by Toyota, um, this is quite an unusual move, though, uh, because at one point there was a bit of a um, a, a breakdown between the two companies uh, in uh, a breakdown between the two con- between the two companies uh, in in the I was going to say the rain uh, under the under the previous chairman. Uh, there was meant to be a deal; it all broke off. Uh, and it was a bit acrimonious for quite a while. So the fact that the two are speaking is really quite quite impression, impressive. Uh, Osamu Suzuki, uh, the chairman of Suzuki and former uh, founded it. Yeah, he founded, I believe, uh, Suzuki as well. Uh, still in charge. So he has quite a long memory when it, it comes to these things. Uh, don't forget that here in... Um, in most of the world, of course, uh, Toyota, or what we think of as the dominant player in this, in fast-growing markets like India, then um, you know Suzuki was in there so early with their Maruti Suzuki tie-up uh, that Suzuki really do have have, um, uh, if not dominance of the market, then a significant market share. Mm-hmm. So Toyota will be looking for a bit of that, and and they'll be looking for a way to share uh, in that uh, uh, in in that. Uh, market expansion uh, that Suzuki already has a lot of a lot of um, weight in and uh, of course production facilities and that kind of thing uh, indeed one of the first things they've agreed to collaborate on is a C SUV uh, for India um, so so yeah so there's lots of there's lots of stuff there so just because it seems like one massive company and one little company to us uh, it's uh, it depends where you are in the world just who actually has the upper hand although for the majority, it's probably Toyota. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to see more and more of these sort of alliances and collaboration because the costs are spiralling and the the amount that can be charged for cars in the various markets can, cannot increase to the same level 
but through regulation and through social and society's changes in attitudes, the, the cars are having to throw more and more tech into them and they're having to be cleaner and cleaner, which is only a good thing. That's, um, again, just in case anyone misunderstands. <laughs> and safer, we have no safer. problem with clean air. <laughs> we, we like clean air. Um, so this is going to happen more and more across across the the companies that we would perhaps think, oh, that's strange for them to get together. It, like Ford and Volkswagen have, it's it's got mm-hmm. to happen, and that's the new uh, landscape that I think we have to get used to. Yeah, agreed, totally agree. But also, I want to say as well, congratulations to whoever did the artwork for the Suzuki Rav Four in the Autocar article. That is absolutely bob on well done autocar on that one it looks great it, it does it looks really good with that ignis c pillar and the ignis ignis front um on, on the rav4 it's yeah that would that would be a very attractive car to own i think it, it just i just like it it just has the it has a cool vibe that's completely different from the rav yeah so yeah well done to the well done to the graphics guys at, at autocar for that one that one's Often we make fun of these. Here's something that we've just made up, but that one is that one's a cracker. Yep, absolutely, that's really good. <laughs> right, let's move on. And this time it's the Frankfurt Motor Show is almost with us. Hooray! <sighs> There's a few interesting cars. That's why it's so quiet on the news front, guys. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, yes, and as you know, we don't generally talk about car reveals and launches so uh, on the new show not unless we're really desperate <laughs> yes or it's particularly interesting but security around this year's uh, motor show in frankfurt has increased because there is a um, protest group called rocks in the gearbox which sounds like it should be a fabulous name for a podcast actually but there we are <laughs> That's what I thought when I saw the the name of the group. They are have been accused or have claimed responsibility for um, smashing up cars at dealerships in Frankfurt, um, including Aston Martin, Land Rover, and Jaguars. Uh, they've damaged windows and some bodywork of cars, and they've hinted that they will do more during the show because to. I think it's what have they said it is. Uh, we think it's time to, and I'm quoting him, we think it's time to throw rocks into the gearbox of capitalist and automotive profit logic uh, because they're trying to expose that, that it's at the expense of our future, uh, our private cars. So, okay, maybe just want to write a sign. <laughs> so creating more waste is really going to go with that. Um, I tend to have two words for people like that uh, who carry out their, any protests they have in that kind of style. Um, the second one is off. Yeah, quite. That does not start a conversation. That's just, you know, it, it's completely counterproductive to what you're doing. No, it doesn't. It doesn't start a conversation at all. It's it's just, it's it's pretty dashed lame. Mm. Uh, but supposedly visitors to Frankfurt are being warned to expect uh, delays and queues when trying to enter the show. Uh, um, if anybody notices any differences, then do let us know because uh, uh, I've I've been to and attended and exhibited at, at, uh, at uh, Messe Frankfurt before and, and that seems about right it's about normal so uh yes yeah, so, so back to me again so it's the uh it's the second Toyota story of the evening and I promise I didn't actually put all of the all of the uh, running order together tonight but yeah we it's it's that t- it's that time of the show when we have to mention the b word 
so Toyota is planning to pause production on Friday the 1st of November. Uh, so... Uh, and then they'll restart the production on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, that's to allow for any uh, interruptions there might be in their their supply chain uh, as a result of what's expected to happen on um, the 31st of October, but may or may not happen depending on what happens otherwise. Lots of things happening, lots of uncertainty. As uh, we so speak. As a result, this is what we're going to do. As we speak, yes, somewhere across London, he says, somewhere across London, he says, looking out the window, um, yeah, there'll be something. <laughs> yes, nobody knows what's happening. Uh, so, frankly, I'm getting to the stage where we don't really care. But yes, that's what Toyota are doing to, to just make sure they do, to, to make sure it's, it's controlled uh, as opposed to, oh, heck, we have to stop the line because we have no more wheels, that kind of setup. Yep. Uh, and that's all that is on that one. Uh, Andrew, one last story before Guilt Minute. Uh, Play Street. Yes. Now, Play Street is uh, the, type, the the name that's given to um, how you, what happens when you – or the, the scheme where you can have a local road closed. So you uh, close it from uh, traffic and you open it up either for like a community party, like a street party, something like that, or areas with kids to play, something like that. So, so let me just make this – so can I just check with you, Andrew? This is different from the idea of shared space in that this is a temporary, this is a temporary thing uh, that is done as a, a one-off or so, as opposed to the street is meant for a combination of vehicles and people yes. uh, at the same it is, time. It is exactly yeah. that. Okay. Uh, but the government has uh, enabled it to be easier to to do this to create a play street. Um, because previously you had, if you wanted multiple dates across a year, you had to put a separate application in for each individual date. You can now on one application say, we'd like it on the first Friday of every month. We would like to close it after six o'clock for two hours so we can have a street party or something, you know, along those lines. And uh, I'm not sure what I think of that, really. I'm... Part of me goes, okay, and then part of me goes, but it's a street <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, and I'm and I'm the same, to be honest. I don't I, – I like the idea, and at the same time, I don't like the idea. You've got to decide. Uh, if you want it to be shared space, make it shared space. I think because I've not experienced something like it, I've got very – I'm struggling to really – Think of a use case apart from a street party. I can imagine your. I can imagine your reaction to it. Well, I wouldn't want people in my street. Imagine your reaction to it. But I might want to go in or out during that time. I can't possibly do that. But I, I think there's. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know really. I, I think this. I think what part part of the thing that, that gets me a little bit is this dream. You know, that we are always told, oh, we're trying to make community, 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 and we all need to get together, and that will make community like this. Like that's how it's going to happen. It's just, I think it's well intentioned. It's definitely well intentioned, and and yes, I would like to see hopefully these things happen where there is some sort of community spirit gets together and people actually speak to their neighbours and things like that. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to speak to many of my neighbours, but you know that's that's just me because <laughs> I'm a miserable old git. But uh, so, but but you know, for- he, he said it out loud here. I've marked the calendar. <laughs> well, come on, I can't lie. <laughs> no, true, true, true. So, uh, yes, 
hopefully it makes some people happy and does good things. Yeah. There we are. There we are. Right, come on. That's that's about uh, the end of the first part. I'm not even going to say half. Part. (laughs) We don't even kid ourselves on this. The idea was always this was halfway through and it never quite works that way. Uh, But it is guilt minute at that point in the show. We remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button uh, there on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very, very much. Uh, of course, not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, then you are wonderful. But how about costing a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about it? Uh, and if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how about doing so for free, uh, making sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you may miss out on the next new show. If you're not sure uh, which podcast players to use, if you're not sure how to subsequently subscribe to um, to podcasts, then do uh, give us a shout out by one of the methods at the end of the show. Yep. Super snappy. Right. There's a, there's a smidgen of Formula E. Yes, there's a little bit of Formula E news. Porsche have unveiled their Formula E car. And not just their Formula E car. It's the Formula E car and all the livery. Because we've seen it in in all in white before. Um, I know that I have Instagram pictures of it uh, that I took at the, Nürbur- at the Nürburgring. Uh, but this is, this is their first all-electric uh, race car, uh, and it's called the Porsche 99X electric because X is cool. It's exciting, you see. Yeah, uh, they've it is. They've got Neil Yanni and Andre Lotterer who will be driving the car in this this upcoming this upcoming season. Uh, they've been doing lots and lots of uh, lots of testing, quite a bit of publicity. Uh, they've got podcasts and uh, and whatever, and uh, lots of YouTube vids and that kind of stuff about different aspects of the car. And a really good build-up, which promises which promises the fact that they're really taking this seriously. I think they're out for a win uh, with this. And, of course, it all ties in nicely with the Taycan, yep. uh, which is being unveiled at the uh, at Frankfurt yep. very shortly. It's one of the few interesting vehicles that's being unveiled there. Uh, they launched this uh, via Twitch, the um, streaming platform Twitch, which... I saw quite a few stupid comments about, oh, no, kids on Twitch, they don't watch anything for this length of time. It's far too long. It's like, right, okay, you've clearly never watched anything on Twitch before or what people are watching on Twitch and how long the streams that they tune in for are. So this whole kids have got a a micro... It's it's hours of people playing um, uh, Minecraft, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, something like that. But no, there's there's lots of talk shows on there. There's... uh, Lots of talk shows. There's lots of different things are, are on Twitch now. It's not just a gaming streaming service. So it it it's a bit like YouTube Live used to be. <laughs> you remember those good old use easy days, Alan? <laughs> yes. Maybe we need to investigate Twitch. I think. Well, yeah, that's part of the thing I'm having to look into because uh, a simple answer mm-hmm. is not simple. No, no, no. Uh, sorry, this is about our streaming anyway. for Patreons who could watch. Uh, if you be, are a patron, you can watch us live when the technology allows it, uh, which it has unfortunately not allowed uh, in the last couple of weeks because uh, of some changes YouTube have made uh, just to 
bring you up to speed on what's yes. happening there. So yes. uh, we are Damn. furiously behind the scenes trying to find a solution. Evil YouTube, mm. quite frankly. Yes, it is. And an evil stream yard. This is the news that the Jim Clark Museum has now actually opened. And Sir Jackie Stewart uh, was there to open it. Uh, attending with him was uh, Alan McNeish. And there's a there's actually a really nice article on the BBC News website where it shows uh, pictures from the day uh, and some some of the words from uh, Sir Jackie Stewart. And it, it looks a fabulous place. And if I get up that way, I will be making a beeline for said uh, museum, I have to say, because that's, I think, in the last series of the Grand Tour, that was one of those bits that they did that they absolutely nailed. And, and it was an incredibly moving piece of filmmaking that they mm-hmm. did with that. Yes, yeah, it it really was. Uh, and and this is you know the 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 museum at Duns uh, was had such great people always said such great things about it before. I think that this expansion is really it is really important to to just just make it make it better. Um, Liam Bird was up recently and he visited before the official opening and, but I can't remember where his piece has been published. I think it's one of the Welsh regional magazines and stuff. It's possibly worth, possibly worth searching for Liam Bird and, and, uh, and, and Jim Clark and, and searching for that and just seeing if it brings up his article. I can't remember exactly where it ended up, but I know that he did that. So okay. cracking stuff. Which brings us to the list of the week, and the list of the week. I thought I would tie in with the uh, with the Bugatti Chiron story earlier on. Like the slick professionals that we are, Alan. <laughs> oh yes, we are. Yes. So, and people think this is just thrown together any yes, old now. Come on, something like that. Anyway, um, so. Yes, continuing these, continuing the slickness, of course. Uh, then, then we're going to be using an autocar slideshow, which seems to be working. Firefox, um, and it runs through the uh, the fastest production cars in the world, and some of some of the cars out there, which yes, yeah, some of the fastest ones out there. There's 37 slides. That's quite a yes, and some because some of them, some of the cars don't actually exist yet. <laughs> And some of them are expected ah, okay. speeds. <laughs> oh, oh! I hadn't realised that. And some of them are cars which are out of production now, like the Lamborghini Centenario, which is meant to be 217 plus miles an hour. Although I doubt many uh, YouTubers are uh, YouTubers, Instagrammers are going to are going to be going quite that fast. Uh, still, it's quite nice to look through at all the mid-engine supercars. Uh, uh, Lamborghini, Lamborghini Veneo, uh, 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 ST1, uh, uh. <laughs> in the green it is, that's for sure. The, the, it's really ugly in real life. However, I'm sitting here looking at McLaren F1, a vehicle that I could sit and look at all day, every day, I think. Yeah. But do have, do have a look through, it's, it's worth, it's worth a poke. Um, and there's the Saline S7 Twin Turbo. The the only fact I can give you about the Saline S7 Twin Turbo is that the aerodynamics were fine-tuned in the University of Glasgow wind tunnel, which is bizarre given it's the all-American the all-American supercar, or, or two or three of them that they actually built. Uh, were, but no, aerodynamics honed in Glasgow. There you go. Nerdtastic. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Andrew, you've got a lunchtime read for folks. Yes, it's from the BBC News article, uh, website, and it's actually a, a slightly longer read. I'm talking about the Michigan Central train station, which some of you will probably know has been bought by Ford Motor Company, and they are going to make that the centre of a new campus, of their high-tech campus, looking at uh, connected and automated vehicle uh, technology and how to bring that into their cars and stuff. But it, it's just, it's actually a really lovely piece written about uh, how important and how iconic the station is and some of the memories from it. And it, and the pictures change showing how it used to be to how it is today. And it's, it's a really interesting read because there's a lot of detail because we all know the picture of it. It's, it's really. The story behind it, I was not mm-hmm. that aware. No, it was it was really, really important. The fact that it is still standing uh, as it, it it stands pretty much on its own uh, in in Detroit, uh, amongst sort of everything else round about, which was some bustling city centre, has been pretty much squashed, and it has been constantly seen as a sign of a sign of hope for a, a regeneration of um, of central Detroit. And I really, really hope that that's what's going to happen. Um, again, you know, we're not sponsored by the Grand Tour tonight. Although, if you'd like to sponsor us, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> then do get in touch at the end of the show. Again, their the Detroit one recently, it, it was in the background of quite a few of the shots uh, when they were explaining uh, what had what had happened in to to downtown Detroit. And it's. It's a fantastic building, fantastic history, and and I think that that's this this article from the BBC is is good. It's it's not a specifically car related story. It doesn't talk about it doesn't talk about Detroit too much. It doesn't talk about the car manufacturing Detroit too much. But I think it's it's um it's interesting sociologically mm. what this building means and the fact that finally, finally, someone has bought it i mean it's been through all sorts of stuff uh, but finally someone's bought this with a with a firm pl- with firm plans for it the the people feel can actually pull off their plans yeah it's brilliant no it is really brilliant i'm so pleased i'd i'd, I'd love to go visit at some point there used to be 15 there used to be 15 uh, railway lines past past sort of underneath it uh, and now there are only two but uh, no Great, great story. Good, well spotted, Andrew. It's a really nice one, that. Excellent. Oh, and finally, gosh, I almost forgot, um, especially given it's something that I commented on already this week. Uh, this week's and finally is uh, is another quick quick ping to Matteo Licata. A road to life. He started off always talking about vehicle design uh, and, and sketching and, and talking about the car at the same time. The The videos are constantly evolving. Uh, constantly evolving at the minute and on this one he tells all about his visit to the Citroen Museum and I'm sure the only reason that Andrew included this in the running order tonight uh, was because I pointed out I'd driven right past the signs for the Citroen Museum when I was doing when I was doing the Route Napoleon at the start of my holidays there and uh, thought oh what down here this is miles from any of Citroen's factories and things it'll only be It'll only be five or ten cars, and it won't be up to much. I'll keep on going to Castellan, where I can then, where I can finally have a coffee. So imagine my delight when I watched this, when I when I read the description of of Matteo's video and thought, oh, 
And then I watched the video and then I uttered some some words uh some words which were mostly about Alan doing things without actually researching them. Uh and sure enough, you know, when you look at the Root Napoleon, the, the Citroen Museum doesn't come up. Um if you are doing the Root Napoleon, of course you'll be doing it over two days, unlike two thirds of a day the way I did it, <laughs> because I'm a fool. Uh and mostly because my family insisted on going on holiday and expecting me to be vaguely near them at the time um uh yeah i've almost forgiven them um and uh and yeah you would actually take the time to stop and visit the museum uh watch the video you'll probably want to have a closer look at lots and lots of things that are in it uh, it's yep. really rather good thanks three large dear. buildings thanks for <sighs> yes Yes, yes, not mm. be ten rubbishy ones, he thought. Well, on that bitter disappointment, I think that's about it, isn't it? Clarkson down after you for plagiarism with that kind of comment, sir. So. <laughs> yes, um, but yes, it is it is pretty much it. So don't forget everyone that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our Patreon offer available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave review and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way that people can get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you shall find me there. And Alan, if people want to lament with you about your failure to stop at the uh, Citroen Museum, what are the best ways for them to do that? They can keep it to their sodding cells. <laughs> but if they want to talk about other stuff, then I'm on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>